Welcome to the Comic Web's Old Time Radio Podcast, where each week we bring you an exciting story from the golden years of radio. The Comic Web sells old time radio programs, comic books, and much more. Please check us out at www.comicweb.com. You'll get some of my brief commentary after the episode. This week's program is the origin episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. We follow this up with an episode of Tarzan called Elephant Stampede. Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Buck Rogers is back on the air. Buck and Wilma and all their fascinating friends and mysterious enemies in the super-scientific 25th century. This program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Budgicle, and Creamsicle, those delicious frozen confections on a stick. Now I have a swell surprise for you. The famous winner of the typical American boy contest has now become Popsicle Pete. And here's a message from him. Hello, everybody. I sure am glad to meet you. And boy, am I glad I was picked to be the typical American boy. Because now I'm Popsicle Pete. I always wanted to be on the radio. Now I have a chance to tell you about some wonderful presents you can get free. Gee, you ought to see them. Hundreds of them. You get them just for saving bags from nifty Popsicle, Fudgicle, and Creamsicle. Some gifts. Even better than Christmas. You can get a wristwatch, a movie camera, table tennis, a wallet... A doll? Gee, lots of gifts. Just save the bags from pop- Popsicle, Creamsicle, and Fudgicle on a handy stick. Boy, did they taste good. Wholesome, too, and nourishing. Made fresh every day of the finest ingredients. The biggest five cents worth anywhere. And say, kids, get the free illustrated Popsicle gift list at your ice cream store. A free coupon comes with it, worth ten bags. And now for Buck Rogers and his thrilling adventures 500 years in the future. As you probably know, Buck was born right here in our own times, in this 20th century. And the story of how he got started on his amazing adventures so far in the future is mighty interesting. But instead of telling you about it, let's turn the dial that will project us ahead in time and find out all about it that way. Now, the capital of 25th century America is Niagara. And there it is that Dr. Heuer, the great scientist, has his marvelous laboratory. In one room of it, he's working on a strange-looking device that sends a peculiar greenish light down onto a human figure lying on a table before him. Shall we join him there? Okay, then, here we go. Five hundred years into the future. Ray is putting you to sleep. To sleep. Relax and sleep. 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 Good. The ray's had its effect. Now I can go ahead. Uh, yes, yes, come in. Oh, hello, Wilma. Hello, Dr. Hewitt. Hi, why don't you have more light in here? Coming in from outside, I can hardly see a thing in this spooky greenish glow. Part of a little experiment I'm conducting. Oh. But tell me, have you seen anything of Black Barney here in Niagara? Why, no. Hasn't given up his job of Prime Minister on Mars, has he? Oh, no, no. But one of his Martian rocket ship factories has worked out a new control device for me. I rather hoped he'd get here with it today. Oh. Meantime, I've made ready for a final test of this little invention here. 
like to say in theater. I'd love to, Doctor, and you know it, but I just dropped in to find out if you've seen any sign. Oh. Uh, what's the matter? Doctor, what's happened to him? Hey. Is he all right? Doctor. <laughs> I see. <laughs> what's happened to him? Why is he lying here on the table? Uh, don't worry, Wilma. Don't worry. Doctor, uh, what are you... He is offered to be the subject of my test. That's all. But then, well, why is he... simply lying here, comfortably asleep, under the influence of my electrohypnotic ray. Oh. I was afraid something had happened to him. Not a thing. Surely you don't think for a minute that I'd do anything No, to... of course not. But the electrohypnotic ray... Are you sure this experiment won't hurt him in any way? Oh, absolutely sure. Well, you can't blame me for being a little shocked for a minute. <laughs> but what's that thing up near his head that looks like a miniature power plant with a loudspeaker on top of it? That, Wilma, is my latest scientific achievement. My newly perfected electro-hypnomentalophone. Your what? Well, you remember the mentaloscope, don't you? Sure. When you put a person under the mentaloscope, all his memories showed up on a sort of moving picture screen. That's right. And this is an adaptation of it. Oh. With this, the electro-hypno-mentalophone, the memories of the subject will come to us verbally through the loudspeaker here. Provided, of course, that my calculations have been correct. Hmm. Sort of read a person's mind aloud, you mean? Yes. Yes, that's it exactly. Where do you ever get ideas for things like this, Dr. Hewer? Surely people don't just barge in and ask you to work them out. Uh, hardly. <laughs> the scientific research and experimentation that led up to the development of this machine was started way back in the 20th century. Why, I always thought that the people back in the 20th century weren't much better than savages in what they knew about scientific things. Oh, not at all, Wilma. Oh, we owe a great deal to the scientists of those days. Were it not for the groundwork laid by men like uh, Einstein, Fitzgerald, Compton, Millikan, and the rest, oh, we'd be without a great many of the things we have today. They never really got anywhere with rocket ship development or anything like that, though, did they? Well, successful rocket flight depends on two things that have been brought into existence only recently. One of them must be inertron. Yes, inertron. The material that defies gravity and makes it possible to lift a big spaceship off the Earth and away from its terrific gravitational pull without too much waste of power. And what's the other? Impervium. The only metal capable of withstanding the high temperature of rocket blasts for any length of time. Oh. Uh, but now, let's go ahead with this experiment. Yes, let's. And you can tell me how this apparatus works as we go along, just what it does to them. Well, not very much to tell you about the apparatus itself, Wilma, except that here, in this little pad under his head, is an extremely sensitive and high-frequency response piezoelectric oscillator of, of quite complicated design. Yes, I, I guess so. Yes. And I succeeded in tuning it to receive the minute electronic impulses that emanate from his brain. Yeah. Through the medium of a super-radiating protonoformer. Oh, yes, I... Oh, what? In other words, we're able to obtain sufficient amplification of the impulse output to register audibly through a process of thermionic note magnification. Uh, that's all there is to it. I, I think I'll understand it better when I see this thing work. Well, I should be very much disappointed if it doesn't. Oh, don't you worry about that, Doctor. Your inventions always work. I have been rather lucky in most of my experiments, haven't I? <laughs> lucky? Well, now let's proceed with this one. All right. Anything I can do to help? No, thanks. First of all, we'll have to switch in the electroniformer. 
gives the electroniformer a sort of eerie sound. Yes. And now, when I switch on this microphone and speak to him, my words will be registered directly on his brain. Not through his ears, you understand, but directly on his brain. Uh-huh. And if we're successful, we'll receive his subconscious response through the loudspeaker. Go ahead, Doctor. Now. Young man, what is your name? I... I said, what is your name? Buck Rogers. Well, it works. But, Doctor... My invention's a success. But, Doctor, what happened? It works even better than I thought it would. He didn't move his lips, though. And how could we hear him talk if he didn't move his lips? It read his mind aloud, Wilma. It read his mind aloud. It sounded like his real voice, though. Well, of course. Because he thinks of speech in the same manner that he utters it. Great day, it doesn't seem possible. Ask him some more questions. Yes, yes, by all means. Listen. Buck, you were born back in the 20th century, were you not? Yes, sir. But this is the 25th century. Do you see, Wilma? His memory's preserved intact. May I ask him a question? Surely, go ahead. Go ahead. Buck. Buck, how did you happen to come to the 25th century? One day in the year 1919, I was in the lower workings of an abandoned mine near the city of Pittsburgh. Yes? All of a sudden, the supports that held up the walls and ceiling gave way and the whole thing came in on me. Yes? Some kind of peculiar gas was released. It put me to sleep. It kept me in a state of suspended animation for 500 years. Then the ground shifted and let in fresh air and I woke up. Well, how did you know you were in suspended animation for 500 years? Instead of the year 1919, it was the year 24-something. How did you know what year it was? I was told about it by Lieutenant Wilma Deering, a beautiful girl soldier I met when I first <laughs> oh. met Oh, then you knew uh, Wilma Deering. Oh, oh, I certainly do. <laughs> She's the finest and bravest girl who ever lived. Yeah. Well, Wilma... Oh, Buck Rogers? Uh, yes? Uh, did you, um... Uh, did you find anything new and different when you first came into the 25th century? Oh, a great deal, thanks to Dr. Hewer. Dr. Hewer? The greatest scientist who ever lived. Uh, what, what, what's this? Nowhere in the universe is there a scientist who's done so much good for humanity <laughs> or done anything that can even... <laughs> no, 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 wait. Uh, wait a minute, Buck. Um, yes? Uh, just uh, forget Dr. Hewer and go on with what you were saying. But he's the man who invented the first rocket ship that took us to the moon. And it was that trip that proved the practicability of interplanetary flight. Practicability of interplanetary flight? Nothing wrong with this machine, Doctor. <laughs> where else have you gone by rocket ship, Buck? First to Mars, where we helped King Analdo put down an invasion by the Martian Tiger Men. Yes. Then to Saturn and the Saturnian moon, Venus, Jupiter, and right. even far off Pluto. Which planet did you find most interesting? Well, that's hard to say. Jupiter has the biggest field for exploration simply because it's so much larger than the rest of the planets. Very true. Uh, do you expect to do any more rocketing around through outer space? Well, there's nothing else I'd rather do, sir. Well, Wilma, do you like my little contraption? Oh, it's wonderful, Doctor. I told you it would work. Well, is, uh, is there anything else you'd like to ask, Buck, before I turn off this green ray? Uh-uh. Let's wake him up and see if he remembers anything that happened during the experiment. All right. Go ahead. All right. Come on, Buck. Wake up. Huh? I say, wake up. You've been asleep. Mm. Asleep? Uh-huh. Oh, hello, Wilma. Hello. 
Uh, where'd you come from? Well, what are you doing here? I've just been let in on the test of Dr. Hewer's electro... Uh, uh... <laughs> Electro-hypno-mentalophone. Yeah. Oh, and doggone it. Instead of helping you with your test, I fell asleep. Say, I'm awfully sorry, doctor. Sorry? Well, yes, sir. I was going to help you. <laughs> I put you to sleep with this machine. Oh, really? That's right. Well, I guess that's one on me, then. Uh, how'd it work? Even better than I expected. Oh, good. Oh, it was marvelous, Buck. You told us your whole life's history without even opening your mouth. Hey, now, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, I... oh, it's, it's all right, Buck. You, you didn't say a single thing you shouldn't have. Oh, thank goodness for that. Let, let's put Wilma under it. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, you have to do something for excitement around here. Come on, Wilma. Oh, you're never satisfied unless there's something exciting going on, are you, Buck? Well, it's not as bad as all that, Doctor, but... Things have been sort of slow around here lately. And... Wait until we start making tests of the new type of gyrocosmic relativator I've just devised. A new one? Isn't that the equipment on a rocket ship that makes it possible to take off without much loss of time for pickup? That's right. And without the usual physical effects of too quick acceleration. It removes from your ship the normal effects of weight and inertia and momentum and the like. Well, how have you uh, improved the relativator, Doctor? Buck? If this new instrument does what I hope it will, there'll be practically no limit to the speed of a rocket ship immediately upon taking off. Good night. Imagine getting into the control cabin, opening the power lever, and going a couple of thousand miles an hour just like that. That's exactly what we'll be able to do, Wilma. Boy, that hardly seems possible, does it? But uh, when can we test it out, Doctor? Have you already got it installed on a rocket ship? Uh, no, Buck. As a matter of fact, I, I don't even have it yet. Huh? Oh, it's been made up all right, uh, the one we'll use for the test, but it isn't right here yet. I don't understand, Doctor. Well, yes, sir. Can't we get it here? The sooner we can get it and start trying it out, the sooner we can break the monotony of just sitting around here Wait. doing... Wait, Doc. Listen. Well, yes, Doctor. I hear it, too. Well, yeah. Hear it? Yes, sir. Well, what under the sun is it? Look here, out of the window. Look, heaven's Wilma. And it's coming right down this way. Wilma. Oh! Say, Buck's wish for excitement certainly came true in a hurry. Great day. I wonder what that was. And I certainly hope he and Wilma and Dr. Hewer are all right. What do you say, Pete? Well, I know what would make me feel all right. A great big frozen fudgicle. Jiminy, can you imagine anything better than that fresh, creamy chocolate fudge frozen ice cold on a stick? Fellas and girls, what's the best, purest, biggest nickels worth you can get? Right, a fudgicle. Delicious and full of healthful energy. Made only from pure milk products. Swell to eat and easy to digest. And don't forget to save the bags for those wonderful free prizes. Exciting gifts like cameras, dolls, sweatshirts, gorgeous jewelry, and lots of other things. Now listen, kids. Be sure to get your free popsicle gift list at your ice cream store. Don't take no for an answer. Far Down of the Apes from the novel Play Edgar Rice Burroughs. With Mr. James H. Pierce as Tarzan and Miss Joanne Burroughs as Jane Porter. This is an American Gold Seal production coming to you over the World Broadcasting System and Associated Stations. Tarzan has rescued Jane Porter from the pirate ship and with her has returned to the jungle because he believes that her own party cannot protect her. Meanwhile, Professor Porter and his party have been overpowered by Snipes and his crew, who put them to work digging for the treasure. In the jungle, the apes are to hold a dum-dum celebration, and Tarzan takes Jane to the ceremony. Now, are you ready? 
Hold your breath. Pulsating throb of the dum-dum grows louder, more frenzied, more compelling as Jane and Tarzan draw closer to the ceremonial mound of the great apes. Through the almost impassable barrier of twisted branches and matted verdure, the cries of the great apes sound like the ominous rumbling of distant thunder. Oh, I'm almost afraid, Tarzan. Jane, not afraid. Such a crime, not her, Jane. No, I can't exactly describe the feeling. I'm not afraid that I'm with you, but just knowing, knowing that I'm going to see Jane, not else. worried. Jane likes dumb dumb. Are we almost there? A little more. Now, go down. Jane closes her eyes as Tarzan, like a falling stone, drops through the semi gloom of tangled vine and tree. Jane opens her eyes, then bleats in amazement. Oh, it can't be real. I must be dreaming. Jane, sit here and watch. Jane seats herself at the base of a giant tree. Before her, the apes circle in mad confusion, pausing every few steps to beat upon the great earthen mounds with their short, club-like sticks. On the outer circle, chattering and shouting encouragement, the she-apes with their balus sway back and forth, keeping time with the uncanny rhythm. Jane watches fascinated as Tarzan joins in the reckless abandon of the Prinipi's ceremony. His bronze body gleaming like burnished copper, leaping higher than any, the ape man forgets all about the Tom and Ganny in their strange ways as he gives sense to his pent-up feelings. <laughs> chanting rises higher and higher. Mighty is the tribe of Kerchak, is the tenor of their cries. Mighty are they in battle, and mightiest of all is Tarzan. Suddenly Tarzan springs to the center of the drum. Still spinning with almost sickening speed, the ape man beats his broad chest with clenched fists, raises his head and gives the challenging cry of the great ape. drumming stops. The victory celebration is over. Some of the apes fall where they stand, exhausted. Others amble off into the jungle. Tarzan crosses the clearing to Jane. Jane, like? Oh, I, I don't know. It's so weird and so, so savage. Trichak ape pulls dum-dum because Tarzan kills Sheeta. I understand that part of it, but, but it's so human in some ways, and yet so unhumanly terrifying in others. I don't know what to think of it, Tarzan. Jane, tired? Yes. I'm tired and worried. I wish I knew what had happened to Daddy. Tomorrow, go to hut again. Maybe they come back. Oh, I hope you're right, Tarzan. Now, go back, Jane? Yes. And taking Jane in his arms, Tarzan turns to the jungle trail that leads to the platform in the trees. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Darno, Philander, Francois, and Clayton are digging for the treasure under the watchful eye of the pirates. Nearby stands Professor Porter, who, because of fever, has been exempted from digging. Not a very promising prospect, is it? If we don't find the treasure... And if we do find it, what then? Ah, dear monsieur, I did not believe at first that Sainz was serious about making us dig, but evidently he was. This is the most preposterous nonsense. How could that blooming idiot expect us to dig up treasure when we haven't the faintest notion where it is? Uh, yes, yes, Clayton. I know your feelings exactly. Indeed, I feel rather guilty about not taking my share of the digging. Now, Archimedes, you take it easy. The rest of us have strong backs. Oh, 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 my, a little stiff after our 
strenuous exercise of today. I'm not going to put in another day like this one. I'm going to have it out with tonight. I cannot blame you, monsieur, but let us wait for a better opportunity. Now you will only get yourself shot. Well, I'd just as soon be shot now to wait until this part has played itself any further. Especially as Snipes will probably shoot us under any circumstances. I'm almost inclined to side in with you, Clayton. But, monsieur, you forget one thing. Getting ourselves killed will not help Mademoiselle Jane. Now, it's a comfort to know that she is safe in the jungle with Tarzan. Oh, but as soon as we are out of the way, the sailors may attack Tarzan. And then Mademoiselle Jane's last protector will be gone. Well, any suggestions? Frankly, uh... I can't suggest anything. Nor I. Attendez, monsieur. He comes the forest, Capitaine. Well, how about it? Uh, just what do you mean, Snipes? You blokes see this all I mean business, don't you? Look here, Snipes. You're wasting your time threatening us. Well, are you ready to tell me where you hid that blasted treasure? But we know nothing whatever about the treasure. Or if we did... I'd give it to you to get rid of the sight of you. All right. Have it your own life. Do you really mean that we have to keep on digging? Of course I do. This path can't go on tonight. You can't seriously expect us to dig up everything in sight. Oh, can't I? And why not? It isn't reasonable. That's why. And even if we dug up a square mile around here, you have no means of knowing that the treasure is within miles of this place. I'll chance that. That treasure chest is too heavy for you blokes to have carried it very far. We didn't carry your infernal chest anywhere. Can't you get that through your thick hands, huh? Or your teeth will be the worse for a blood in your mouth. Ecoutois, you have overlooked something, uh, Snipe. Huh? Captain Snipe. Oh, yeah? Well, what's that? Have you looked in the original hole where the treasure is located on the map? No, I ain't. What for? Remove the treasure from there and dump her into an iron hole. Ah, but is it not foreseeable that some of your men might have been too smart for you and that they might have removed the treasure back to the original hole? Huh? No, they never had no chance. Ah, that is what you think. But if you do look, voila, the treasure may be there. Look here, mister. If you're trying on some game... Hey, Wilson! Come here, guard the prisoner. All right, mister, I'll look. What kind of a gag are you trying to pull on Snipes, Dono? You know perfectly well that the treasure isn't in the original place. Quickly, monsieur. While Snipes is looking for the treasure, do you think we can make a break for it? Not a chance, Dono. Those two fellows, King and Wilson, that he set to guard us are pretty villainous looking. No, Darno. It won't work. King has a grudge against us anyway. And they've both got rifles and could pop us at their leisure. But I think I can work something on the guards. A little trickery. Well, go ahead. But I'm not at all sanguine. Uh, King! Well? Uh, may I have a word with you privately? Whatever you've got to say, my pal can hear it, can he? Uh, very well. Though I thought you might like to know it all for yourself. Well, speak up if you've got anything to say. What if I were to tell you where the treasure really is? What's that? I say, what if I were to tell you where the treasure is hidden? Would you help us to escape before Snipes has a chance to carry out his threat and kill us all when the treasure is found? Uh, I don't know. You arrange to come and talk to us tonight after everyone is asleep. I'd be taking an awful chance. But is that the treasure worth some chance? Now, what about Wilson? Is he in? Uh, of course. The treasure is big enough for two. Uh, midnight then, entendu? Hush, hush. Here's Snipes. Yes. Midnight. What did you find, Snipes? Dancing beams of silver through the lacy screen of leaves that forms the jungle. Overhead, the chattering of monkeys and the screeching of parrots have given way to the droning hum of insects. 
and the drowsy sighing of the light breezes playing in the treetops. Below, the jungle depths resound to the distant roar of Numa, the lion, the spitting cough of Sheeta, the leopard, or the shrill trumpeting of Tantor, the elephant. Lying before the little leafy alcove, Jane and Tarzan gaze along the jungle trail. Oh, I can't sleep tonight, Tarzan. I don't know what it is. A sort of... I know this sounds silly, but I have a feeling as if something were going to happen. Tarzan not sleepy. Maybe Jane not like dum-dum. No, I wouldn't say that, Tarzan. But, well, in a way, I'm sorry I went. I don't understand. No, I could scarcely expect that you would. For this is your life. It's all that you've ever known. But it was a bit disconcerting to me to be suddenly swept back thousands of years to the very dawn of humanity, to see primeval life in all its raw savagery, and to see you, you, a part of it. Yes, it was disconcerting and perhaps a little disillusioning. Tarzan does not understand what Jane says. I'm glad that you don't. Even if you had complete mastery of the English language, I still might not be able to make you understand. For how could you see through the eyes of a civilized girl, especially when she's not sure that she sees clearly when she says disillusioning and perhaps means revealing? Oh, Tarzan, Tarzan, you can never know how I felt seeing you dancing there with those great hairy apes. They are my people. Our ways are not the ways of the Tarmangani. Sometimes it made me shudder to see you. That was disillusionment. And sometimes I thrilled, and that was revelation. I don't know which was stronger. Jane, sad? In a way, yes. Tarzan, sorry. It's not your fault, and nothing for you to be sorry about. You see, Tarzan, there are some things that, well, no matter how much you would like to know about them, nevertheless, you're better off if you don't. The dum-dum is one of those things. I think Jane just talked. Just talk to herself. Now you're teasing again. But I suppose it isn't quite fair of me to keep on talking about something you don't understand. Something, in fact, that I don't understand myself. Tarzan does not quite know what to make of this new attitude. And not knowing how to answer, the ape-man is silent. Jean gazes with unseeing eyes into the depths of the jungle. Before her flashes again and again the mad, swirling picture of the dum-dum. And always before she can thrust the image into the background, she sees Tarzan's leaping, gyrating figure. That she now loves Tarzan, she scarcely denies, even to herself. And try as she can, she cannot picture him in any setting other than the jungle. Her jumbled torture interrupted by a distant rumbling. Even the lions, everything seemed to be afraid. Tarzan does not know. The ape man steps to the edge of the platform. The roar settles into a steady, crashing, earth shaking rumble.
Tarzan away with them? And what of Darno and the others? Can they induce King to aid them to escape? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We are adding new old-time radio programs to the comic web for sale almost every week. This is one of my favorite episodes of old-time radio. Here we learn that only in the 25th century do we find a way to the moon. Plus, this is a completely different origin of Buck than I'm used to. Then again, my memories of Buck Rogers involve a talking robot named Tweaky. Buck Rogers was one of the first juvenile radio programs. It first aired in 1932 and was based on the Buck Rogers comic strip. Although Buck lasted on and off the air from 1932 to 1947, relatively few episodes have made it into the present day. At some point in the future, the comic web will sell the Buck Rogers episodes that we have, along with the Flash Gordon episodes, another sci-fi series with relatively few episodes. But until we do this, you can get the Buck Rogers CD with 26 15-minute episodes when you purchase any old-time radio program from us and just send a note in the comments section, either in our shopping cart or through PayPal, to include the Buck Rogers CD. We threw in the Tarzan episode because you, our listener, deserve a full half hour of entertainment, and the rest of the Buck Rogers episodes we have are all part of Cliffhanger storylines. All except the last episode of Buck, that is, and you can get that only by decoding our secret society code this week. The code is 837 Six twenty four thirteen. Just enter this code at www.comicweb.com slash secretsociety.htm. Deciphering the code will give you all the benefits of membership in the Comic Web Radio Secret Society. Benefits include more free episodes, fun facts, and a certificate of membership. The code again is 8376 as always, thanks for listening, and if you have any comments on how to improve our pa- podcast, please let us know at editor at comicweb.com or go to our site and leave some feedback. Have a good week.